Uh, you're going to hear a little bit more of their story, and you're going to hear them greet, uh, greet you and, and, uh, and, and share with you from God's Word. But Paul and Carol Alexander have uh, been serving in ministry for many years uh, in several different places, but for about the last nine years, or now into their ninth year, have been serving as uh, the president at Trinity Bible College just up the road. Many of you are familiar with Trinity. We have, uh, we have uh, a number of people here who have attended there or graduated from there. And uh, Trinity Bible College is very close to us, not just in proximity, but in heart. Again, every month when you give to missions, one of our ministries that we support every month is Trinity Bible College. But I also know that uh, uh, colleges or institutions or any kind of an organization uh, is, is healthy in large part because of its leadership. And we're very, very grateful for Paul and Carol Alexander. And uh, it's such a delight to have you with us. You're no strangers to many here. But uh, God bless you as you come. Would you welcome Paul Alexander as he comes this morning? Well, a real good morning to you. As uh, your pastor said, we don't feel strange at all. It's kind of like coming home. Not very often that we get to come past the church that we drive by so often, but it's great to be able to share this morning with you and a great privilege to be able to represent Trinity Bible College and Graduate School, uh, see so many good friends of the school and uh, just be here and share fellowship with you. Sweet worship, wonderful atmosphere of God's presence, and we're just delighted to be able to be here. We're going to do three things today. Uh, the first one is, in just a moment, I'm going to invite my wife, Carol, who heads up our graduate program, which has just taken off like a rocket. We have five master's degrees. We now have a PhD degree offering at Trinity Bible College and Graduate School, and she's led the charge on that. But she's also uh, been writing books over the last number of years that have been so well received. And so she's just going to share her latest book with you and uh, uh, the way it could be available. And then we're going to transition straight from there into into a short video. Now, the video is already dated. As all of you know, we've come through a bizarre year. Hasn't it just been crazy? I'd be glad when this is all way behind us. But we, uh, we shifted very quickly. We moved a lot of our program online. And uh, I'm glad to tell you that we're back and we seeded. And through all the craziness of this year, student numbers are great. We've ended up with a really good enrollment. But right the middle of the summer, we weren't quite sure where it was going to land. And so you'll see this video starts out with empty halls and empty chapel, and just exactly what we didn't want and how it's all turned around. So uh, it's slightly dated, but it'll give you a good insight to what's going on. And if you haven't been on campus lately, you'll see some of the developments that have taken place over the last number of years. God's enabled us to do nearly $12 million worth of development on the campus without incurring a cent in debt, which has just been a very special provision of God. In fact, our debt load is just diminishing all the time. So lots of good health and uh, uh, check it out and you'll see and just a few good visuals. And then I'm going to share God's word with you and I trust you'll be receptive to that. So let me invite my wife Carol up and then we'll transition right into the video and then I'll take over. Good morning. Great to be with you this morning and to worship and feel at home and just sense God's presence with you. Um, I think some of you may have been here when I last shared about my book, Wild Hope. It's a memoir and full of stories of hope, real stories of hope. And one of the main ones is the story of our son who was in a terrible accident and how God 
um, just came to his rescue. So that's still available. And then my latest book, Simple Trust, um, it's really about 50 life-changing readings. They're short, pithy little chapters, but um, I deal with some pretty practical subjects, such as keep on keeping on, um, you are the guardian of your own heart, the antidote to pressure, learning to be content, the grass is not green on the other side, deal doubt a death blow, seven reasons to read your Bible, the purpose of pain, and there are 50 of those kind of chapters in there um, that just help with dealing with the issues of life that we deal with from day to day. I'm so glad there's a little verse in the Bible that says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And even in the midst of these trying times and a time where it feels maybe as if things have come undone, I remind myself constantly of this one thing. He is before all things. He knows about today. He knows about tomorrow. He knows about the future. And in him, all things hold together. It's not Washington, D.C. that holds things together. It's not the Kremlin. It's not Downing Street or The Hague. It's Jesus, the name above all names. And he will always hold things together, and he is holding things together, even if you feel that they are coming apart. So wonderful to be with you today. Thank you for um, having us, Pastor Gary. Thank you for your fellowship and your friendship. Um, God bless you. everyone, my name is Savannah. And my name is Sean. And we work in the admissions office at Trinity Bible College and Graduate School. During every other time of the year, our campus is vibrant and it's full of life. You can find worship music playing anywhere. There's people talking and laughing. And right now we don't have that. And to be honest, we really miss the vibrant culture that takes place during the school year. One of my favorite things about the community here at Trinity Bible College and Graduate School is just how involved the students are. We really enjoyed seeing our students go all across the world this year. Our athletics teams go to nationals and regionals and do phenomenally, and even the birth of several new programs for you to enjoy. The atmosphere that's created by our Trinity family is unlike anything else, and if you have not experienced it, you need to be here in the fall. We have several programs at Trinity that we offer students, like our incredible Pack Your Bags program. We have Accelerate. We also do Go Trips every spring semester. We have incredible programs and student-led initiatives here at Trinity. However, without you, they really mean nothing. The reason you would want to come to Trinity is because we're all about experiencing God's calling on your life. That means you're discovering who God is, who you are, and what His unique plan is for you. You can find basketball players that are leading our chess club. You can find worship ministry majors that are traveling doing missions. It's, it's incredible to see just these, these individual students going out and using their God-given talents and abilities to bring a community closer and more centered on Christ. There's an incredible authenticity here at Trinity. 
They create relationships that are more than just surface level. They genuinely care about you spiritually, mentally, emotionally. They want to see you grow. We really are a family here and we don't just say it to say it. Here at Trinity, you will experience the fullness of family, the fullness of God, and you will cultivate lifelong friendships. And we believe that Trinity Bible College is a launching pad for you to experience the calling of God on your life. If you can grow here, there's no telling where God's going to take you in the future. Good pictures of how we scatter our students all around the world and how their lives are being dramatically impacted. Lots of good news out of Trinity just this last year. After going through some difficult times about 10 years ago, we had to get into an articulation agreement with Valley City State for our school teachers. And uh, we have since been working with the Department of Education in North Dakota. And this last year, our teacher ed program got its full licensure back. And so now teachers are able to train completely within Trinity. I think the best teachers in the world are the sort of teachers that three or four days a week are crying out to God at the front of a chapel. And uh, so all of our teachers this year graduated within six weeks. They were all fully employed and fully licensed. So that was a great big milestone for us. Some of you like to track other things like money. And uh, seven, uh, about six or seven years ago, we were in $7 million worth of debt that was just crippling us. As of today, that debt is down to $1.9 million. And we will be out of debt in two years' time with the pledges that have been given to us. So just rejoice with us, lots of good things, the school's in good shape, and we are seeing God do some remarkable things. By the way, Carol's book at the back, the first book, tells a bit of our story of how we arrived at Trinity and the way God's been doing good things ever since. Uh, so she'll be at the back there, and uh, I trust you'll avail yourself. It's coming up to Christmas, a good time to buy books for gifts. But I want to speak to you today for just a short while out of the book of Ephesians. It's a letter that was written around the first century to a church, a real church in the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And uh, they had multiple challenges, and this uh, letter was written to try and help them navigate their way through. We complain about what's going on in our society and in our day and age, but there's nothing new under the sun. And I need to tell you that around about the first century, around the Mediterranean basin, there were communities that were incredibly broken. They had pagan gods with pagan practices, and it resulted in all kinds of social disconnect and social disorders. People were seriously messed up in the first century. We're no worse off now than what people were back in the first century. And when people became Christ followers, they had to try to navigate their way through an extraordinarily complex social milieu that was going on in many of these cities. And Ephesus was no different to that. And so the Apostle Paul, who had had a part in the founding of this church, writes this letter and he writes real practical stuff. He just writes about living well, about making good choices, about breaking cycles of dysfunctionality. And it was good then, and it's good now. And as he gets towards the end of this letter, he writes in the fifth chapter about just good practical stuff. The longer I live, the older I get, the more I realize life isn't quite as complicated as we make it out to be. It's just a series of good decisions and making them consistently. And so Paul tells us some of the things that are just good 
in the early part of the chapter, practical things. He says, don't let there be any immorality amongst you. Just get yourself right when it comes to fundamental morality. He even speaks about the choice of words and language, that there shouldn't be any harsh words or bad language used amongst us. Don't let there be any obscenity, any foolish talk or coarse joking, which is out of place. That's pretty practical stuff right there. And so it goes all the way through the first part of Ephesians chapter 5, And then he kind of sums it all up, if you like, in the verse that I want to speak to you about today, and it's verse 15 of Ephesians 5. It says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. It's what he's been describing all the way through this chapter. And then there's a comma there, not a period. It's the same sentence. It says, Making the most of every opportunity, Because the days are evil. It's kind of a summary statement, summarizing the rest of this very practical bit of the Bible. You know, people like myself and your pastor and others who have the responsibility of sharing God's word, in other words, understanding God's word and communicating what it's saying, we know that to be responsible in understanding God's Word and sharing it, there are certain things you should always do. You can use the Bible in a wrong way, and people have throughout the centuries. And so in order to be responsible in our use of the Bible, there are certain things that we should always do. For example, at a very basic level, you should always find out who's writing this. We know God has inspired it, but we know that God uses people. And so it's just a basic question, who's writing this part of the Bible? What's their background? What's their reason? What's their motivation? That's just a basic response responsible thing to do. And then, of course, it's just as important to find out who it's written to so that you're able to understand how it was received, what it was trying to address, and then understand that in our own context today. Those are really basic things, and people who don't bother to do that shouldn't even be in any way committed to explaining the Bible to other people. Well, once you've gone through those basic steps, there are other things that you can do as well. For example, we know that the Bible was not written originally in English. It was written in ancient languages such as Greek and Aramaic, and uh, certainly the Old Testament was in Hebrew. And so those languages have different ways of expressing themselves to the way we do in English. English is a very practical language. It was primarily developed in order to do business and to do trade. But there are other languages that are perhaps a little bit more sort of romantic and have different tenses and they have different conjugations of verbs. And so what we then do is through the various aids that are available to us, we check out what's the language here? What's the grammar? Is there anything in the grammar that's perhaps been slightly lost in translation and needs us to add some insight or information to. And so you check it out and you look to the tenses and you look to the verbs and you break down the sentence. And as a result of those responsible processes, people who preach God's Word responsibly are able to communicate it constantly and regularly, and that's how we grow, and that's why we come to church. Well, if you were to take the verse that I've read to you today and do all of that, Find out who wrote it, who wrote it, who it was written to, and you get into the text more deeply and you understand the grammar. In fact, I think if even the Apostle Paul was here today and trying to translate this verse for us, 
I think it would look something like this. It would say to us, if we look at it carefully, don't be stupid. Seriously. I mean, that might just seem a little bit in your face. But I think, obviously, as you read this text, the clear message of the Apostle Paul to the church was, please don't be locked in cyclical stupidity. Will you get rid of dysfunctionality? Don't be unwise, be wise. Don't be stupid in your living. It says that clearly, unmistakably. But what's really interesting is although that's very apparent, there's a comma and it goes on to tell us how we can break systemic stupidity in our lives. And it says you do that by making the most of every opportunity because what? The days are evil. Maximize life. Get a whole grip on what you're doing in your existence and make sure that you use every opportunity. So the first part's pretty easy to understand. Just don't be unwise. Be wise. Don't be stupid. The second part, slightly more complex because it speaks about every opportunity. So, of course, I looked at it carefully. I immediately got out a piece of paper, and I began to write down what might be involved in that phrase, every opportunity. And I came up with a little list that I want to share with you before we finish church today. I think perhaps the first one, and they're not in any specific order of importance, but I think the first one that would emerge is special times. I think if the Apostle Paul were to say anything to us, he would say, make the most of special times. Let me explain. You see, you've got to understand, friends, that there's this thing that theologically we call a creative instinct, a creative imprint on our lives. In other words, it's the imprint of God. And it's wired us in order to live certain ways. Partly how we are wired is to go through this trajectory of life, this kind of linear unwinding of life. But we need to do so in seasons and times and celebrate the passing of the years. In other words, God's made us to be able to mark off milestones, to be able to celebrate achievements, to be able to look back and have memories. That's what makes us unique as human beings. We're able to have memory and look back and see what's happened. Now, I know that in a room like this, we don't all have great memories, but I want to tell you this, God's been good to us, God's been faithful, and I think one of the disciplines that we need to adopt in our lives to be wise is to celebrate life. See, I'm just getting to the age where a lot of my peers kind of think, getting old, it's not, just, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. You know, and we get complaints and groans. I hear even worse things. Oh, the older I get, the more like my mother I get. It's scary. I hear that stuff. That's stupid, friends. That's not how we ought to mark the passing of life. I believe that we should be people who develop a celebratory attitude towards life. We should celebrate birthdays. I mean, it's another year of God's faithfulness. And you might be getting a bit older, but we all know, friends, uh, those who have not had the privilege of growing older whose lives were taken far too soon. Some of us, our own family members. And so there is a very real sense in which I think godliness is expressed in a sense of gratitude. Another year, God's goodness, God's faithfulness. That's why we do Sundays. We just celebrate another week and we mark it and we recognize it. and We thank God he's brought us through another season of our lives. 
I mean, I don't want to pop your bubble at all, but Jesus was not born on December the 25th. But I want to tell you, that doesn't prevent me for one moment thanking God for a wonderful day in the year when I can remember that Jesus was born and He did come into life and we get dinner and presents all at the same time. I think it's a wonderful thing. People get all religious about Christmas. I say, give me a break. Just have a great time and celebrate and rejoice. I think one of the best things about America is Thanksgiving. I'm not sure that they had turkey back then or that even the pilgrims shared it. It's all part of our national kind of myth. But hey, I don't need any other excuse but to say, God, you've been good. You've been faithful and you've been kind. I want to mark the special times in my life. Sometimes it's memories. Those that have gone before us and loved ones that lost, have been lost, we still celebrate the special times. I remember as a very young guy, I, I was still in school. I'd only just recently come to know the Lord Jesus as uh, my Savior. And I got on the bus one day, and there was an old guy at the front of the bus who I recognized from our church. I had no idea who he was. I, realized, I found out a long time afterwards that he was one of the great apostles of the 20th century. His name was William F.P. Burton, and along with his colleagues, they had planted over 2,200 churches in the eastern part of what was then the Congo, now the Republic of Congo. Uh, just a remarkable man, a gifted man. He retired to a home very close to where I lived, and he would catch the bus that I was catching home from school. So I said to my school friends, I know that old guy. And of course, you know what boys are like? They said, bet you won't go and greet him. I said, bet I will. So I went down to the front of the bus, and I stood there. We had school uniforms where I grew up, and we were very courteous. I said, good afternoon, sir. I've recognized you from my church. I just want to say hello. He looked up at me, and I'll never forget it. He said, sit down, boy. It wasn't a request, it was a command. And um, so I sat down, and thus began the most remarkable days of mentoring that I remember as a 14-year-old. We began to talk about all sorts of things, and Mr. Burton and I, we had this interchange. I think it was very formative in my life. I grew up in a gold mining city, and so every August we got wins, just as well we got them once a year, because now we live in North Dakota and we get them every day. But um, uh, uh, these winds would come in August and we had the, the remains of all the crushed ore from the gold and it was very fine dust and they hadn't found out a way to grow anything on those mine dumps because cyanide was involved in the process. And so the wind would come and literally the whole city would sort of disappear under this fine uh, dust. And so I sounded very grown up this day and I looked out the window, I said, Rotten day, isn't it, Mr. Burton? It was a bad thing to say. He stared out the window, I'm not sure what at, and I'll never forget it because it went right into my heart. He said, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Just the way he said it, you know. I remember I wanted to stand up and say, yes, sir, everything you say, sir, absolutely, sir. It, it just like he was reading my life. And as a young man, I realized that every day is a gift of God, worth celebrating and seizing and making the most of special times. I urge you to celebrate your life with great gratitude, the passing of the years with constant thanksgiving, because that's a good thing to do. There's another thing that I, I want to mention here, and it's what I call social opportunities. I know it's probably coming up saying special opportunities. No, it says social opportunities. Um, 
we were talking about this a little bit earlier on in the Connect class, and uh, it's just something that's really worth explaining again and again. I've already said to you that we are uniquely put together. We are knit together in our mother's wombs. We are a reflection of who God is. There is something of His imprint in our lives. And one of the things we've got to understand profoundly, and I hope today you'll grasp it as I share it with you, because I'm very passionate about this, is that we are wired to be with each other. We are wired to be in community. God has actually created us not to live in some sort of outer orbit around the life of the church. He's made us to have times that connect with each other. Some of us know what it's like, having gone through this year, to have that isolation and being cut away and cut off from meeting with people. Why? Because God's made us to have social interaction with each other, not just to sit in church, not just to look at the back of the head of the person in front of you, but to engage and get committed and get involved and to become socially committed to one another. That is a very biblical concept, the need for community. I remember how I learned it very profoundly. I was about 13 years of age, and I met up with a school friend that I hadn't seen for about a year. He had gone off to another school. In that year, his life had been transformed. He had come to know Jesus. And I remember him saying, hey, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday night? Well, there was nothing else to do, and so I went to church. And It was a church like this. There was vibrant music. I'd never been in a church like that ever in my life before. I'm looking around, trying to take this all in, not so sure that I was feeling all that comfortable. And then we got through the sermon, and then the preacher did something that I had never seen before. He said, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm thinking, I don't know what's coming. Perhaps I shouldn't close both eyes. So I kept one open just in case. I'm a 13-year-old. I'm really inquisitive about what's going on. And then I remember him saying, now, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I want you to do just one thing. I want you to slip your hand up in the air, and I'll see it, and I'll say, God bless you. And I remember inside of me thinking, I'm not ready. I don't know what's going on here. I'm not sure that I want to get attention in any sort of a way. I was a 13-year-old, self-conscious. Well, my friend would have nothing of it. He reached across, grabbed me by the wrist, and stuck my hand right up in the air like that. And the preacher was onto it, and he said, in fact, it was a church with a balcony as well. He says, I see that hand. I'm thinking, I'm getting committed. I don't even know what I'm doing here. And then the preacher, slightly disingenuous, he said, I want you to do one more thing, just one more thing. If you put up your hand, I want you, under the courage of your convictions, to come on down to the front of the church. I said, no way. It was hard enough getting my hand up. I'm not going down to the front of the church. My friend picked me up by the collar like this, you know. And I remember we marched right down. I felt all those eyes staring at me. I wasn't enjoying it at all, but my friend was having a wonderful time. He had got his friends at church, and I was going down to the front, and the pastor said some things to us. And then the scariest of all, after, after doing all of that, which I wasn't sure that I really wanted to do, the scariest thing, he says, now that you've come all the way, why don't you just go off into this little room at the side, and somebody's going to pray with you. And uh, of course, now I look back, I think it's all so innocent and sweet, but as a 13-year-old, I'm thinking, I could go in there and disappear. Maybe I could die, and nobody would even know that it's happened, you know. And so I sort of walk in, I'm looking all around, and this very nice guy who we still are friends with right to this day became a very key church leader, and he prayed with me and uh, showed me a few Bible verses, and I was just in the frame of mind that I wasn't taking a whole lot in. I couldn't wait to kind of get out of there, and then he slapped me on the back, said, God bless you. You're a Christian now. I said, thank you very much, and um, I, I remember I got up, and I walked out of church. 
I was unchanged. It wasn't a great big moment like so many enjoy. And I got to the back, and a friend who was there, he was, lived, he was a neighborhood kid, and I knew him from the neighborhood, but we didn't go to the same school or anything. He said, Paul, great to see you. He said, you know, we have a youth service on Friday nights. Would you like to come? Well, I thought, that sounds okay. And he invited me 7.30 Friday night, so I thought about it all the way through the week. And uh, still no big transformation in my life. And then I got ready, and I sort of walked to the bottom of the driveway, and then I thought, I can't do this. There's just no way I'm going to turn up with all those strange teenagers. So I turned around, came back in, sat down. My parents were, I think, a bit disappointed that I wasn't going out for the night. And we started talking. 7.30, there's a knock on the door. And I said, I wonder who that is. I went to the door. It was my friend, Winton. He was right. He said, I checked for you. You weren't there. I just thought, hey, it's still not too late. I've got my car outside. Would you still like to come? Well, that was the invitation I needed. That was, I, I still, I think of Winton and his kindness. I, I said to my mom and dad, see you later. And then I got into his car, which I immediately knew was a bad move. Uh, because uh, uh, some of you won't understand this, uh, but uh, let me explain it anyway. It was a little Mini Cooper S. So we get Mini Cooper S's now, but they're made by BMW, and they're just not the real deal, you know. This was real British engineering. I mean, the oil leaks were genuine oil leaks, you know. And um, uh, in those days, they'd sort of put the suspension down, put 12-inch tires on the back of that tiny little car, a great big six-inch exhaust pipe, double-barrel Weber carburetor. The thing would roar like crazy. It was only about a 950cc engine, but I tell you, it could take off like a rocket. And then the coolest thing of all, it had fur on the dashboard. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, please don't even ask if you're old enough to remember those things that we did. Probably psychedelic orange, you know. And um, I get in the car, he hits it into gear. The center of gravity was so low, it didn't matter whether they were corners or stop streets. It was all the same speed all the way. I'm telling you, we're going around those corners and the car's going up and I'm leaving my fingerprints underneath the chair I'm holding. I got so religious, I didn't know that I had all that religion in me. I said the Lord's Prayer. I think I even said the Apostles' Creed. I quoted some scriptures, the Lord is my shepherd, I crossed my heart, I went through the whole deal, I had no idea I was so religious, I got out of the car the other side, I'm thinking, I'm so glad I got here, went upstairs to the youth service and I got connected, people welcomed me, and I can tell you to this day that it was that interaction with friends and peers that grew me more as a Christ follower multiple times more than that moment at the front of the church. We went on camps together. We did all sorts of fun things. And about two years later, this profoundly, profoundly beautiful, blonde-haired, green-eyed girl made her way in. I remember her standing at the base of the stairs, thinking, oh my word, God, you've excelled yourself this time. And we fell in love. This year we celebrated 44 years of marriage. And our lives have been rich and full. It's all because I made the most of social opportunities. That's why it's a good thing, my friends. It's wise. It breaks cycles of stupidity when you refuse to stay alone through the journey of life. And you get connected. Just a couple more things and then I'm done. I think there are things called sensitive moments. 
this is another opportunity, another, another momentary time, sensitive moments. God speaks to us. God loves to touch our hearts. There's a part of us that's in, intrinsically tuned to the voice of God. There are those moments where you get sensitive and you know that God wants to speak his promises into your ear. He says this. He whispers his secrets into the ears of those that he loves. There is something incredibly intimate in our relationship with God, but it takes sensitivity and just a quietness of spirit, a way in which God speaks into our lives. I want to tell you, friends, there are hundreds of lost moments in our lives just because we're too hurried and too rushed, and we don't allow a sensitivity of spirit to develop inside of us. And yet God wants to speak to us. I could tell you dozens of examples. I'll share just one. Our little girl was only six months old. We were pastoring a church in England at the time, and we received an invite to preach in the city of Baltimore. And so I remember receiving it. I felt very honored, but there were no promises of finance or anything like that. And so we wanted to make sure that we just got there as cheaply as we could. And all those years ago, flying out of London, there was an airline called Laker Airline. It was the El Cheapo of El Cheapo Airlines. I mean, it was just completely cut down to basics. And in order to make the cost really effective, you had to go down. You couldn't book your ticket. You had to go down to Gatwick Airport, stand in a line. Sometimes those lines were 24 hours long. I remember standing probably about 14 hours, and then you get your allocation. They, there was no seat allocation, you just got which flight you were on, and they would sort of open the doors and you would bolt for the aircraft and try and get a half-decent seat. You had to take your own water, your own sandwiches, everything. It was just as, as, as basic as, but it was cheap, and that's the way we could only afford to go. So we took our little six-month-old baby, and we ran onto the plane, and we eventually got to New York. We couldn't get a connection. We slept on the floor in the airport, and then finally got down to Baltimore. It was as rough as could be. And then we'd had an invite to come to Iowa, and so we got all the way across the country to Iowa. That was a journey all of its own. And when we got there, God just touched the people in the church with a real compassion for us, and they started to give us things, just the kindness. Good Midwestern people, they poured kindness on us. They gave us a pushchair for the baby and something else and something else. And by the time we got to the end of those three or four days, our room was just half filled with all the stuff that people had given us. I'm thinking, how on earth are we going to get that home on, on Laker Airlines? And, and uh, what we had to do was we had to fly from where we were to Chicago, Chicago to New York, go down to Queens, New York, stand in line again with all this stuff around about us, a little baby, and then get on the plane and no lunch or anything. It was just a bit too much for me back then. And I remember one morning, just as we were about to leave, whispering, Jesus, I have no idea how we're going to get home. This just is, this is, uh, please help us. That's all I did. So we got as far as Chicago, and I'm carrying all the stuff, and Carol's carrying little Anna, and uh, I put it down, and then all the stuff came off me and put it down, and then I got into line to get our seat allocation for our flight to Chicago. We'd been able to pay for that, and uh, I'll never forget it as distinctly as I've heard anything in my life, I was one person away from the counter, one person. And I felt God say, get out of the line and walk to the end of the hall. Well, that just seemed crazy, bizarre. So I sort of checked it out. I said, I beg your pardon, Lord. And uh, I felt that impulse. And so I got out of the line. I smiled at Carol. She had no idea what I was doing. I walked down to the end of the hall, came back, got in the back of the line, smiled at Carol again. And um, I got one person away and the same thing yet again. Well, 
ladies, tune out for just a second. Uh, guys, do you know that sinking, sort of toe-curling experience when our wives say a thousand things without even opening their mouths? You can come back in, ladies. If you happen to hear that, don't do it. It's, you know, God's created us guys amazingly, just remarkably. But there are just a few things we can't handle. And when you speak to us without opening your mouths, it's one of them. So I'm, Carol's, Carol's sort of gesticulating, pointing at her watch, and I'm smiling, trying to, trying to say, God, if this isn't you, I'm, I've got some serious groveling to do. And we're running out of time, and I'm not sure how we're going to make the flight. So guess what? It happened a third time. Distinctly, I knew. So I got out of line, I smiled. A person behind the counter wonders what's wrong with her. And I go down to the end of the corridor, the hall. As I turn here, I hadn't seen it before, just a simple sheet like this saying, Jet saved to London, still available. I thought, wow, wonder what that is. So no line or anything. I went over, I said, what, what, what is this? She said, well, we just offload our final seats on a plane and fill them up uh, at a good price. I said, how much? It was cheaper than Laker Airlines. I said, oh, but I've got a flight from here to New York. She says, let me see. She said, we can give you full credit towards this. So it's getting better all the time. And then I said, but I've already booked some of our luggage. On she says, hold a minute. She gets on the phone. It wasn't a two minutes later. She says, we can pull it all off. No problem, sir. We've got your luggage. I said, Go for it. This is amazing. So she issued the tickets. We were flying only two hours later. It was direct to London. And we got lunch on the plane. <laughs> I'm telling you, there was some serious swagger when I walked over to Carol. <clears throat> but God spoke. And he wants to. Sensitive moments. Those moments where you feel vulnerable or uncertain or insecure. I want to tell you, friends, those are some of the most profound opportunities for God to speak into your life. And he loves to do it. That's wise. There's one last thing, and with this I conclude. When we speak about all the occasions of life, perhaps the most profound of all is what we could call sacred experiences. Let me explain it as simply as this. Every single religion in the world today and that ever has been, everyone, with maybe the slight exception of Judaism, everyone except our faith, our Christian faith, every other faith system in the world is based upon a religious duty whereby the person worshipping has to approach their God, normally with sacrifice, with temple money, or with penance. That's the basic premise of every single religious system on the planet. Except, thankfully, ours. Because the massive distinctive is that we have a God who comes near. That's just remarkable to me. He's a God who reveals himself. He's a God who shows himself in gracious and merciful ways. And unlike every other bondage of religion that every other system has, our God comes near and he made the way. And he reached out and he loves us and he encounters us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. 
And so here we are in the brokenness of life, and yet this amazing truth, our God is able to touch us and reach us and impact us. And I can tell you, friends, I know without any shadow of a doubt that God is faithful, God is true, and God wants to come near to you and reveal himself. And through it all, we seize the opportunity and we live wise lives. So I commend to you the good advice of this little text. Don't be unwise. Be wise. Break the cycles of stupidity and dysfunctionality. Make the most of all that life brings to you. Live with a grateful heart. Engage with the community of God's people. Become sensitive to His Spirit speaking to you and allow the God who comes near to transform your life. And the outcome will be a life well lived, both in time and in eternity. Thanks for listening so well. Would you give me the privilege before I hand back to your pastor just to pray with you? I'd love to do that. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this good group of people both here in the sanctuary and around the region and maybe even around the world who have heard what I've had to say. This ancient, profound wisdom to commit our ways to being wise. I know that your word tells us to number our days and so apply our hearts to wisdom. I pray that for every friend in this place, that you'd give us the grace to number our days and apply our hearts to wisdom. You know how it needs to be applied. You know what work needs to be done. Through the work of your Spirit, achieve what you have set out to do in this service and let your people's lives be richly blessed. In Jesus' name. Thanks for the privilege of being able to be back in Aberdeen. Thank you, Pastor Gary. You're a great friend. God bless you. Thank you, Dr. Alexander. And as he was sharing about special times and social opportunities and sensitive moments and sacred experiences from his own experience, I kept praying, Lord, do it again. Because it's not just about what God did in his life. It's what God desires to do in our lives. Amen. This morning, I would like you to stand, please, if you would. I want to encourage you again. We're about to close. And let me just say this as well. There, there may be someone here today, and what we will not do is we will not, uh, we will not have you come and go into a side room. But if there is someone here today, and you would say, uh, you see, all of this is based upon a living relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. And so if there's anyone here today that would say, Man, I want what that man was speaking of, and, and I, I don't exactly know how to begin. Then I want you to do this. We're going to close in prayer, and if, if, you would, if you would be open to this, please, we will not embarrass you, but at the close of this service, you can come right up here. There will be someone here to pray with you and share with you how to begin following Jesus Christ, how to come into a living relationship with Him. We want to give you that opportunity. So if that, if that is, uh, others will be fellowshipping and, and making their way 
way to the back. But if that is you, then would you please, would you please uh, just come up here? Uh, one more thing before we pray, and that is again, as as you give this morning, thank you so much. Uh, that again, the offering is available there and back. And if you give this morning, again, all of this offering is going to. Um, go to the ministry of Trinity Bible College. You can see we're very grateful for the leadership that God has given us there, not only in the Alexanders, but in so many others. And, and so we're going to pray for that. And then, and then also, uh, you heard earlier about uh, these books that uh, Dr. Carol Alexander shared. Uh, I read this one, Wild Hope, several years ago. It's an excellent story. Uh, it elaborates on some of what you heard them share about their lives, but take advantage of this. These are available in back, and Dr. Carol uh, Alexander will be in back as well. So, all right, let's, let's, one more time, let's go to the Lord together. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for all that you have done this day. I believe that you have encouraged and that you have directed and by your Holy Spirit have spoken to us. There are, there are many here today, Lord, who can, along with our brother, share some of the, the wonderful things, the special times that, 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 uh, that we celebrate and, and some of the social opportunities that have made a difference in their lives. But Lord, I pray also that there would be those sensitive moments where your Holy Spirit speaks to us and we, you, you direct us and, and you minister to us, give us very clear direction. And, and Lord, we pray for those sacred experiences experiences that, that, that are eternity changing. Lord, I thank you that there may even be some here today who on this day begin a living relationship with you. So Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing in us. I thank you that, that you continue to speak to us and stir us and move us and change us. Thank you that you don't leave us the way that we were, but you have a greater plan for us. So Lord, now in the rest of this day, I ask your blessing. As we make our way out of this sanctuary, Lord, we're going into a world that desperately needs to hear what we've heard again today. Thank you that you have entrusted this sacred duty to us, and that is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost world. Thank you, Lord. Our trust is in you. We look to you, and, and, and we thank you. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you in back.